Well, good morning, everyone. And we are both really excited to be involved in the third anniversary Radiothon for Voice Ed Radio. I'm Jamie Bricker. And I'm Carol Bricker. And you are listening to Bricker by Bricker, a podcast to support parents with building productive partnerships between home and school. And our, our podcast is all about informing parents about things that are happening in education today. And the because we know that you know the more informed parents are, then the more actively they are involved in their child's education, which results in children being more successful academically. And Carol, I think it's really exciting that we're obviously just starting a new year, but even kind of neater, we're starting a brand new decade. And I think it's a great time to look at kind of new discussion topics to really help keep parents informed about what really is happening in education today. You're right. We began 2020 discussing one of the first big changes in teaching and learning, and that was cooperative learning, which really took root in the early 1980s at the beginning kind of of our teaching careers. Well, and cooperative learning really was the first step, I would say, in a really dramatic shift in that educational narrative. Because, I mean, let's face it, Carol, for decades and let's face it, centuries before, uh, teaching was all about the Socratic method of dispensing information to the students. The students were the passive recipients of all this knowledge that the teacher was passing on. But cooperative learning tipped the scales in an important way as it made the students really allowed them the opportunity to be actively involved in their learning. You're right. No longer was the teacher just considered that uh, knower of all knowledge because with cooperative learning, students now had the opportunity to be actively involved in their own learning. And they also had the opportunity to learn from their classmates as well as from the teacher. Well, you're right. That was a key component, the idea that within their cooperative group of four or five students, each student was really kind of expected to assume the role of both kind of teacher, mentor, and learner throughout the different activities, depending on what the group was doing. And kind of assuming both teacher and learner roles was really kind of to reinforce and enrich everyone's learning. Mm -hmm. And then as we moved into the 2000s, this paradigm shift uh, to active student learning really continued to grow as students continued to take more control of their learning. Oh, no question. And I mean, the last, you know, five, 10 years in particular, we've seen a real even greater emphasis on really respecting and recognizing what I'd like to call the student voice and the student choice. And boy, when we look back at our own learning experiences, like when we were kids way back when, we had absolutely no voice. And when you think about it, absolutely no no choice. And yet voice and choice, of course, are now key aspects of what we refer to as inquiry learning. And then with this approach to this inquiry learning, we have both the educator and the students having that shared responsibility for the learning as opposed to all of the learning being that teacher directed. Well, the learning has become a real partnership. It, it is really a, you know, a, a team effort. And I think that's a huge step forward. And I think one of the real kind of telltales of things have changed is parents will notice that when their kids come home from school and look at tests and assignments and projects and such, there's far fewer of those typical teacher-generated questions, Mm -hmm. which of course were all memory and recall driven, far fewer of those as inquiry learning really encourages students to generate their own thought-provoking questions. And it really has become more and more of a focus throughout this century. And it places students' questions or ideas or observations and 
their their curiosities really at the center of all learning. Well, you think of how curious a young child is kind of oh. when they're when they take the mm -hmm. first breath. And historically, I think uh, education has kind of squashed a lot of that curiosity for the sake of conformity. So you're right. Inquiry learning really is back driven by curiosity and creativity. But it really focuses on how the student learns all about the process rather than simply the final product, which, of course, is, quote, what the student learned. But, of course, historically, what the student learned really was all about what, what the student the, remembered. Well, remembered and what the teacher told them. So really, the bottom line for inquiry learning is it's not so much about getting the right answer, but rather about developing those inquiry minds, developing that uh, mindset of wanting to find out and wanting to find out more or looking for possible solutions. Well, Carol, I'm really dating myself with my next comment, uh, but I'm, I'm and I'm not proud to say that way back when in the 70s and 80s, when that you know entertainment slash gossip uh, magazine, the National Enquirer, was prominent. Yes, I read it from time to time. And I'm when you talk about inquiry learning, I just go back to their catchphrase, of course, quote, inquiring minds want to know. But of course, in all seriousness, it's very true. And inquiry learning is all child-centered because it's all about their real-world experiences. And it really, I think, kind of it's a three kind of prong attack, in my opinion. It allows and encourages, but inquiry learning also requires kids to make their own decisions about what they want to learn. And I think, though, for our listening audience, it's not just, oh, I think I'm going to do this today. You know, there are certain con confines to what the child is learning. There, it's still driven by curriculum and, and, you know, what they're working on. Their project may differ from what maybe another student's is, but they all are aligned with those curriculum expectations. Oh, no question. The curriculum provides a, of the framework for all learning. There's no question about mm -hmm. that. And really, when we look at inquiry learning, you know, the students, you know, as I said, they explore that academic content by posing and then investigating and, and getting answers to their questions. But but when I talk about questions, it's not just, oh, you know, I th have this question and, you know, keep throwing out different different questions to find the answers. You know, there is a lot of teacher involvement still. It's not just teachers standing at the front. So when we look at inquiry learning, you know, there are times where we need to have that explicit instruction for well, well, to students. interject, I think it's important to stress that's traditional teaching when you say explicit instruction. As, you know, to, to a certain purpose, too, yes. But then there's also maybe a small group of students require some sort of, you know, support or, you know, additional information. There's also those opportunities for that guided teaching. And then even that conferencing with the teacher where not only is the teacher conferencing to find out what the, the child is working on or what those group of students are working on and how they're progressing, but they're also using that time to pose questions to the students to help deepen their, their understanding and deepen their, their search into those answers. Well, I think in a nutshell, Carol, would you not agree? It's, it's really the best of all worlds. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to pause for a few seconds and really give our modern uh, teachers real kind of collective pat on the back for, as you just outlined, a vast 
array of instructional strategies are routinely used, mm -hmm. which years ago yeah. there was kind of, you know, one way and that's it. Yeah. And inquiry learning has also become really uh, commonplace in elementary classrooms. I think, uh, in my opinion, at least above and beyond all else, because it's purposeful, personal, and practical. Because not surprisingly, all of us, of course, including kids, are more highly motivated when they're working on stuff that okay, genuinely interest. interests them. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, sustainable learning, not the kind of ram information in your head and have an exam and forget about it yes. the next day, but sustainable learning is all about the learner. And that causes me to, once again, go back about um, half a century, I hate to admit it, but what, but little old student Jamie, I admit it, and I, I'm, I have no problem with the fact that I was the kid who would say to the teachers frequently, quote, why are we, why are we learning this today? And inevitably, the responses seem to fall in, as I recall, at least one of two camps. I'd either get kind of a patient, polite tone when the teacher would say, quote, because you'll need to know this next year, or the kind of frustrated teacher tone, very brief, quote, because I said so. Or the, there's a third option because it's going to be on the test that's coming up next week. And, Very and, true. Yeah. So really, uh, you know, inquiry learning aligns really well with increasing that student preparedness for our ever-changing world that, you know, kids need those skill sets for jobs and, and that are, don't, aren't even established at this point in time. So really through inquiry learning, they're developing those four C's, the critical thinking, the collaboration, the communication, but also that curiosity and creativity. And I think a lot of times when we think about curiosity and creativity that, you know, we, we think about the arts, but, uh, but really, really it, you know, it, it's involved everywhere. But when we look at creativity, it really is that catalyst for for learning. Oh, absolutely. No question. And I mean, looking at young kids, you know, I, th I really back in the preschool days, would you not agree, Carol, really the foundation for inquiry learning is really all about questioning mm -hmm. both a kind of the attitude, the confidence, the risk taking, and actually the actual quality of questions. And I think at home, parents would be doing their kids a great service if they really got away from engaging in the, the yes, no kind of stuff, the closed ended questions mm -hmm. and really encourage their kids and also model for them on a regular basis to use those how and why questions. Well, certainly they're much more deeper. And these questions really help kids to feel empowered about their learning when you know, you're asking questions and giving those opportunities to learn more about it, you know, they they can explore a lot of unknowns and, you know, have that opportunity to adapt to change. Well, and I think it's also great because it really, it, it validates that, you know, that their ideas matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that is key for, for, you know, for a young person in particular. And I think when we look at creativity, as I said, creativity is involved everywhere. It's not just in, in the, you know, the, the drama, the music, the. Oh, so true. The, like if I can interject for a second, Carol, you know, we're, we both really like our maths and sciences, and I immediately think of the STEM subjects. And of course, just a reminder for everyone that STEM is an acronym, of course, for science, technology, engineering, and math. And creativity is a huge aspect of generating new ideas, solving problems. And really, I think first and foremost, if creativity is kind of really embedded in someone's DNA, 
then they really have an attitude of why not rather than something is kind of overwhelming. And I look back to just reading about, you know, the late great tech with Steve Jobs. And that's, that was exactly the kind of attitude he really liked to see and encourage in all of his staff. Why not? Mm -hmm. So it really can kind of be that mindset that, that, you know, I am capable of answering those why not questions. So, you know, there's so many benefits to promoting that creativity in kids. And, you know, it, it does help develop their problem solving and their risk taking when they feel that they're empowered or have the capability to, you know, to solve problems. But really, creativity is also that prerequisite for innovation, and it really encourages those lifelong learners. Well, when we're in a, a society where, of course, there's so many changes coming in the next you know, decades and centuries, that, that whole kind of lifelong learning piece is huge. And, of course, kids are going to have to be you know, constantly innovating. And as you know, Carol, we both love the old Einstein quote creativity is intelligence having fun. Mm -hmm. No, but oh, isn't that so, so true? true. Yeah. Isn't that so yeah. true? Like you're unshackled, yeah. you get to go where you want to go. You're right. So really then it comes down to, you know, we have this, this relatively new approach to teaching, but then what can parents be doing to support their kids so that when they are in school or, or are out in the world, that they're comfortable and confident with asking questions and being actively involved in their learning. Well, I think you'd agree that it all starts at a very young age in terms of what, of, I should say, a young uh, age for their kids, obviously. Yes. I know there's a lot of young parents too, uh, <laughs> unlike us. Uh, but it starts really at a young age for kids about really giving them routine opportunities to explore and play. Oh, that's so powerful. And, um, you know, we did do a podcast right at the beginning of our, our series about the power of play and there's a couple articles that i've put on the the website if if our listeners are interested in in looking more into detail but you know it really play allows kids to as again develop those four c's that we are always talking about but i think when it comes to play one of the the best types of play for kids is that unstructured play where you know they're doing and creating and manipulating and exploring as they wish to, not it being imposed by someone else. Oh, no question. And I mean, it is once again so powerful when they can establish their own rules and they can define the parameters of the game or the activity. And obviously, like we're not naive. There are safety concerns and so on nowadays that, you know, we can't just kind of send our kids off to the neighborhood park for six hours and come back home for dinner, like yeah, happened when, when we when were kids. When the lights come on. Yeah, yeah, that was the old thing for me. Come back when the street lights are on. Yep. Well, those days, of course, are long gone. Like, we, we get that. But as much as possible, if uh, parents can really have routine opportunities for their kids, as you say, to not only follow the, you know, kind of some, some prescribed game, but we're talking making their own rules themselves. And I look back, Carol, and I think you'd agree, like looking back at Christmases and birthdays years ago, we made a really conscious effort that for our boys, we got, you know, games or toys, say like Lego or something where that allowed them to, you know, to oh, be okay. totally creative yep. rather than some game where you press a button or you stick in the batteries and you sit there and get mesmerized by something whipping around a track or something. Mm -hmm. And there's times for those, but, you know, we really need to make sure that we're building in those opportunities for kids to really oh, No question. 
But also, sometimes with those fancier toys, the best part is the box Lots. they come in. <laughs> no because kidding. you think of all the different, you know, forts and uh, cars and so on you can make from a, you know, the large cardboard box type mm -hmm. thing. Once again, though, it really empowers the kids. Yeah. Well, and as we're talking about this, and we've mentioned it before in another podcast, but, you know, when our kids were younger, they had a friend over. And every time he came over, they played Shifty, which, you know, involved various pieces of sports equipment that didn't really play the same purpose it would in the actual sport it was designed for but they had a grand time because they created their rules they determined you know how the game was going to go and it was it was a great opportunity for them. I didn't have a clue what they were doing in shifty but I but thinking about it you know Carol I, I think one thing they really liked about it too was the total autonomy like it was their game, game. Yep. and they knew that we didn't get it. Mm -hmm. And I think they'd like the fact we they didn't, didn't get, get it. it. We yeah, just certainly. made sure they were safe and that was it. Other than that, it was up to them. So I think the big thing in play when kids are exploring materials or situations, this allows them those opportunities to be curious and to generate questions, which is, you know, what is that piece that's going to further extend their understanding about those materials or those situations? And Excellent point. And I mean, let's face it, bottom line is those types of thought-provoking, richer questions, they, of course, create the foundation, the very, you know, basis for inquiry learning. You're right. And I think it's another kind of issue to kind of bring up now would be the whole kind of homework piece. And obviously I want to stress, and I know, I know you concur, Carol, we were both parents too, of young kids that obviously it's great uh, when parents can routinely uh, support homework being completed and answer some questions and so on. Uh, provided, of course, one huge caveat that mom and dad, you're not enthusiastically actually doing, doing the, the homework mm -hmm. uh, or the project or whatever. Um, but, but I think it's important if your child is kind of struggling with something in school, like don't automatically think you have to jump into an expensive remedial program, or if your child's kind of excelling to think, oh, geez, we automatically have to explore enrichment. Those things may absolutely unfold down the road. But would you not agree, Carol, there are a lot of really natural, really genuine uh, kind of opportunities for, for some really neat uh, discussions and investigations for both the child and the child and parent together right in the home. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we've certainly talked about what you've uh, termed the three B's, the bake it, the build it, the buy it before. But, you know, when, when we look at all these wonderful learning opportunities that can happen just naturally in the home. So your child may have an interest in something may could be in the, the environment. And as I'm looking out the window today and seeing this wild snow, blowing past us here you know there could be some really rich or they could be very keen there. on shoveling snow oh, maybe maybe <laughs> wouldn't that be but, nice or you know maybe something's happening in the community and really taking their questions about these could really be that springboard for further explorations well would you not concur carol i think there's a really fine line though we want to be supportive and enthusiastic of their questions and interests but it's got to be kind of carefully kind of worded by the adult so it doesn't come across as kind of uh in a sense minimizing it oh certainly you know it's not like mm -hmm. it's a cute idea or wouldn't no, that be nice no. but really yeah. taking it seriously yeah yeah and really when we we look at these learning opportunities in the home you know they're they're little or to no cost and you know these genuine homemade learning experiences can really be priceless absolutely and i think it's 
along that line, obviously, if you're really, you know, kind of building or exploring something at home, lots of times the parent won't know. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a great opportunity to kind of, you know, as a parent, take a breath and uh, really kind of take that pressure off yourself to always be the authority and always There's be the no expert. Answer, yeah. And rather, I think it's a win-win because to lighten your parental pressure, but to also really make an impact on your child, it's really a great way to model the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but now we're going to find, find out, out how. And really, I think when we when we look at kids asking their parents questions, you know, typically the parent would have one of, of three possible responses. They may ignore the question or say, you know, oh, we don't have time right now. And, and we get it. You know, life is busy and quite often maybe we don't have time right then. They maybe could answer the question as best they can. Or the third option could be they say, you know, that's a really great question. How can we find out? And when we look at the three options, really, it's that last one that's really a great way to model curiosity for your kids, model that you're still, as an adult, enthusiastic about learning, and then having those discussions with your kids about suggestions for finding out the answer or the solution. Oh, well said. And I mean, let's face it, nowadays, of course, the vast majority of those kind of answer explorations are going to involve the internet and particularly things like Google searches, which of course in, in themselves are a wonderful opportunity to really get into some genuine critical thinking. And once again, to explore the whole concept of media literacy, mm -hmm. because I mean, let's face it in our world where we're inundated and inundated with allegations of fake news, et cetera. It's really important to work with your child to consider the real validity of any information and also to routinely look up multiple sources. And I think, frankly, obviously to be adjusted depending on the age of your child, but to freely discuss that every source is going to have a bit of a bias, bias. to some degree oh, or another. Certainly. certainly. But I think, too, we, you know, we need to be realistic and recognize that we can't always answer all of the questions our kids are asking us. So really to come up with maybe some strategies that parents can use and and, you know, I think if if parents are anything like me and my memory, I, I can forget things so easily if I don't write it down. So maybe either the parent writes the question down or the child writes the question down, depending on their age. And there could be a space in the house, like the refrigerator is, is an option where they could post that question with the idea that, you know, it'll be answered later. Well, looking back when our boys were younger, there was no more frequently used area in the house in the refrigerator and that refrigerator door had a very prominent location so I think it's a great way to also validate having the question on the door that it, this is an important question yeah yeah and once again I think this sounds a lot or a lot uh, like a wonder wall to me and I know Carol many kids would already be familiar with wonder walls in yep, school and posting things on the wonder wall and then maybe what the family could be doing is once a week selecting a question that they they want to to find the answer for it and maybe as a group they prioritize the questions to determine you know which one we're going to be addressing first oh and once again great opportunity for some real meaningful communication and collaboration so finally you know, Carol, let's briefly discuss how can parents encourage, support, and frankly, begin to expect more of these richer questions, you know, when dealing with their children? Well, I think one of the first things to 
always keep in mind is the importance of reinforcing and praising kids when they make, you know, when they do make a really, or say a really good question, very, you know, really mm -hmm. kind of thought provoking, richer question. We have to acknowledge that and encourage more. Mm -hmm. But then I think with young children, quite often language may be that barrier to asking some of those rich questions. So, if that's the case, then, you know, parents taking their question and using the same wording, rephrasing it, maybe bringing in, you know, some some richer vocabulary to really help model for their kids and show their kids how to develop these richer questions. Oh, no, 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 no uh, argument there. And as with all types of learning, frankly, for people of all ages, I think especially kids is make it fun, play games about questions. Uh, routinely try to turn a closed yes or no question into a much more open question. Or maybe play a game with your child about, you know, how many questions can mom and dad or and child all together generate about a topic? Which kind of makes me think to when we played a banana circle game, like something like that could happen at the dinner table where, you know, our kids, they were answering questions and they ate a banana every time. But a piece of banana. Piece of banana. <laughs> yeah, not the whole banana. Whereas, you know, this would be a great kind of dinner time fun game, you know, as they're they're, you know, everyone's participating. Away. We're all yeah. generating. Mm -hmm. And you're getting a whole lot of banana eating. Win-win. <laughs> <laughs> but also when tackling a problem or project at home, I think it's really important for parents to really help transition your kids into the why, the what if and the how sequence when it comes to questioning. That's a great idea because really with the why, we're looking at why does the problem exist? The what if explores different ideas, solutions, or improvements, and then the how acts upon those possible solutions. So great brainstorming opportunity. And as with many things with regards to the kind of the parent-child relationship and learning together, make it rewarding. And once again, recognize and praise when they use these richer types of questions. But also, it's, it's really important to always kind of model this, uh, this growth mindset and the whole idea that we're learning together, but our emphasis at home, as it has become at school the last few years, no question, it's about the quality of questions as opposed to simply the quantity of definite, questions, definitely. much different issue. And then taking those times to talk with your children about the growth in their question and what you're seeing, you know, around that and getting them to reflect on the types of questions maybe they, you know, asked last month to what they're asking this month, which is that great opportunity for that metacognition, which is so essential for kids to recognize where they are and where they're going and how they're going to get there as part of their learning. And I think it's once again important as we've done in numerous uh, ones of our podcasts is the whole notion that we're not expecting parents in, you know, in their busy days, et cetera, to make all of this questioning time kind of formal and kind of some kind of add on. What we're so strongly suggesting is look for opportunities to embed it into your regular mm -hmm. day and interaction with your child. Well, they do have, you know, family game night. Maybe we have family question night, and but making it <laughs> kind of a fun sort of thing. And what really it's all about is listening to and acknowledging a child's questions as you go about your day. And as you say, Carol, not only is this kind of interaction going to lay a better foundation for your child's future learning, but what a great family dynamic. It's awesome when kids and parents are actively involved and actively learning together.
So we hope that, you know, we've given parents some ideas for ways to develop their children's questioning skills. And if our listeners have any questions, they can certainly email us at info at jamiebricker.com or can contact us through our website at brickerbybricker.com. And we encourage our listeners to share our podcast with other families they think might be interested. And a reminder to follow us on Voice Ed Radio. And if any of our listeners would like to support the work that is being done here through Voice Ed, they may go to voiceed.ca, excuse me, that's www.voiceed.ca to make a donation. And we look forward to connecting with you next time on Bricker by Bricker. <laughs>